Welcome to the 4th Down Experience, the podcast devoted to special teams. Your host of the 4th Down Experience, former pro free agent, nine-year professional kicking coach out of the Midwest, Coach Chris Hughesby. Alongside Coach Chris Hughesby is a former two-time Arena Bowl champ, nine-year pro kicking coach, rep in the South, Coach Brian Jackson. Welcome to the 4th Down Experience Podcast. I'm Brian Jackson, along with Christopher Hughesby, and we have a little bit of a switch up for you guys. We actually are going to interview a fantastic referee. He's retired. Um, He's refereed in several NFL games. He retired after 513 NFL games, 26 seasons, and he was quoted here in the Pioneer Press as saying it was time. Uh, Tom Barnes. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, happy to be here. Yeah, Tom, thanks for being on the 4th Down Experience podcast. Uh, we're thrilled uh, to talk special teams, talk refereeing, and I think our, our audience is going to love hearing. So like Brian said, so you you recently uh, retired a, f- a few years ago? I retired in uh, October uh, 2012. 2012? Okay, nice. And I started... In the NFL in 1986. And prior to that, I worked in the Big Ten Conference for only three years. And then before that, I worked in a small college around Minnesota, the MIAC and the Northern Independent Conference, for uh, nine years. And I actually started officiating in 1968. Oh, wow. So I spent a lot of time on the field. Yeah. That's quite a bit of time. So I guess, how did that lead you into the refereeing in the NFL? Um, it's here's what happened. I I played football. I loved football in in high school. In my uh, uh, my last game, my uh, my senior year in St. Paul, played Minneapolis, and I played it with my. Uh, we played. Uh, I played for St. Paul Central, and I tore up my knee and finished my career. And I really missed football, so there wasn't many opportunities. Uh, I couldn't play football anymore, so I got into officiating. And my brother-in-law called me and wanted to know if I'd work a high school game with him coming up on Friday night. I said, "Sure, I'll do it." And then I said, "But you know, I've never officiated." And he said, "Don't worry about it. We call the state high school league." And it was a weekend where everybody was busy, and they said, go ahead, let Tom work. So I said, okay. And he said, be at my house at 4 o'clock on Friday, and we'll go from there. And I hung up. So then I called him back. I said, well, where's the football game going to be? Now, I lived, I lived in Hutchinson, Minnesota at the time, and my brother-in-law was in St. Paul. He says, well, it's in, it's in Willow River. And I said, uh, okay, fine. I hung up. I looked on the Minnesota map. I couldn't even find Willow <laughs> River, but actually it's up by Duluth. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, so I drove all the way in at 4 o'clock, put on he had a uh, uh, striped shirt and an outfit for me to wear. We drove up and all the way up there going over the rules. It was a three-man crew. This was 1968. And he said, here's what you do on kickoffs and on punts. Here's where you stand. Uh, passes, you're going to look for this and that. They go over all the rules and we got up to Willow River about a two and a half hour drive and walk out on the field and I didn't remember one thing. I was <laughs> like complete, complete numb. Anyway, we finished the game and the athletic director comes in like they always do, gives a check to my brother-in-law and then you got to go after the game, you go to the local uh, bar and get the check cash because then you got cash right there. And uh, the check was $45, and there were three of us. So that was $15. That's what we got paid. Wow. And uh, <laughs> driving home, Peter says to me, my brother-in-law, he says, well, what'd you think, Tom? And I said, well, I guess it's all right. I don't know. He says, well, in officiating, there's no in-between. Either you love it or you don't do it. And I kind of lived with that my whole career. 
but that's how it started for me. Wow. So, and then from from there, uh, I I moved into the cities the next year, into St. Paul, and I joined the St. Paul Officials Association, and they would they would get games for you, and uh, it was pretty good. They had uh, Jimmy Griffin was the head of it. He assigned all the games, and they named Central Stadium after Jimmy Griffin. He's no longer with us, but. Um, He'd call me on Friday when I first started, and he'd say, uh, Tom, we need you tonight. Can you work? I said, yeah. I said, where are we going to go? And he says, well, Siren, Wisconsin. I said, okay, fine. And Siren is like a two-hour, probably more than two-hour drive. And then the next Friday, he didn't call. The next Friday, he called me back. He said, we need you tonight, Tom. And he said, can you work? I said, sure. And he says, I said, where do you want me to go? He said, Siren. And I said, well, I was just there two weeks ago. And, I, you know, nobody wants to go up there. And he said, yeah, but they liked you up there, Tom. They really want you back. <laughs> so anyway, that's kind of how it started out. And then eventually uh, I worked around the Twin Cities and, and worked my way up into a uh, small college, which was the MIAC conference, and uh, went from there. Nice. So how did you get into becoming an NFL referee? I mean, what was the application process like at that point? Well, they don't come to you. Uh, I was in the Big Ten, and uh, after my first year, a fellow from Ohio, he got in the Big Ten. We both we both were in there. The, we were first-year officials. His name is Bobby Moore, and uh, he was an attorney in Dayton, Ohio. Anyway, he got in the NFL, and he called me to, to let me know he got in. I said, that's great. And he says, Tom, do you have any aspirations to do that? And I really didn't. And my goal at that point was to work a Rose Bowl game. But he said, if you want to get in the NFL, you got to write and apply and um, go from there. So I thought about it, and he told me who I should call. And so I did, and they sent me out application and I filled it out and they uh, just said next fall in the Big Ten you just give us your games we'll come and watch you and we'll go from there they looked at that time they looked at maybe 300 guys a year they had scouts out around the country looking at college officials so the year ended and um, they sent me a letter and it just said uh, we uh, we don't have any, uh, right now, we don't have anything and any openings. If you want to continue to be a prospect here, just send us your schedule next year. So the next year, they changed um, supervisors in the Big Ten, and they put Jake Calhoun. And uh, they got a bowl, a Schembechler from Michigan, blackballed half the staff. In the Big Ten. So we didn't have crews anymore. We couldn't work, and every week it was a different game. And so uh, uh, I would send in a postcard where my game was going to be, and they said, You're going to have to call us because we're going to know quicker. We're going to have to know sooner than uh, so we can get somebody out to see it. Well, anyway, they called me back in the, the year and said we wanted to interview me. And they said, we're going to send you to Chicago to interview with a psychologist. And that was about a three-hour meeting. And then after that, I took a physical, and they came out to St. Paul. We spent about six hours in the airport in one of the little offices out there. And um, just talking about family and sacrifices and you're away from home. Nothing about football and rules or anything like that. And he said, we'll call you April 1st. We're uh, talking to 20 guys. We're going to bring in six, and we'll let you know. Well, they called April 1st, and I got in. Nice. So that's how it started. Awesome. Tom, we're, with us being a fourth down experience special teams podcast, what was some like really key like relationships that you had with you know popular kickers, punters, long snappers over the years? Well, I, I can honestly say, and they didn't want us to uh, – 
you know, they're really good buddies or familiar, close to the players. Um, they set it up so that we would uh, work. You would never get the same team more than twice a year. And, uh, you know, I, I really never really uh, spent a lot of time talking to any of the kickers. Uh, I, I know I, I tell you this, it's a job I wouldn't want because <laughs> there's a lot of stress and a lot of pressure on those guys. And, um, you know, they earn their money, believe me. And it's not, it's not a, uh, a job that's, uh, I mean, you can be gone in a week, as you can see here with, uh, you know, what's happened with the Vikings in the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, so I never really, uh, there was a few uh, players that I knew, uh, got to know, like Matt Burke and uh, some of those local guys. But um, other than that, I never really talked with uh, or got to know many of the players. I got you. So I really, I really got to know the sideline guys, like the down box holders, the equipment guy, the team doctor, they never change. But the players and the coaches every year was constant turnover. Right. Here's another uh, question for you. You may get some just rapid fire questions here. So a uh, question that, that is always often asked at the high school level, um, just because it happens so frequently because the goalposts are always so small, is the ball going over the upright as a field goal kicker, and then, you know, then we all get upset because it looked like it was in from our angle, and then you know the ref calls it no good or whatever. What what is the rule? What is the all's token rule? Whether you were doing it or whether your fellow staff members were doing it, you know, if the ball goes over top of the upright, okay. which obviously in the NFL yeah. is taller, but what, yeah. what's the rule that y'all are told to do when y'all call it? Well. Um, the rule for the field goal, the point at, whatever it is, is that the official who looks up the, from the ground, there are two of them, one on each side of the goalpost, and right. they look up, and if the ball is inside the outside edge of that pipe, it's good. And I used to play that position for a while. I was a back check, so I went underneath the goalpost, <laughs> To make that call, I remember I had a Viking game out in San Francisco, and I'm telling you, I it's not that easy. It sounds easy, but it isn't. And those guys kick the ball so darn high, uh, it's a difficult call to make. And they even they even extended the height of the posts on each side of the goalposts to make it easier. Right. Anyway, so- they kicked the field goal, and I called it good. And uh, I came back for the kickoff, you know, and I'm right by the coaches and the players, and the guys all over me said, what are you talking about? He said, that wasn't good. You know that one. And I said, hey, that's good by a good half inch, and he went berserk. I, so, so, Tom, is it is it just the assumption that if there were a pole there that you would be certain that it, get, that it would nick inside? Yeah, inside the outside edge. So what do you think happens at the high school level? I mean, it, there have just been so many personally that I've seen and watching on film where it just looks so obvious that it's curling in a yard, a good yard inside. And I mean, do you think at the high school level these guys are told like if any part of the ball goes over the upright, just call it no good? I, mean, I think, why do you think it's why do you think it's so popular on Miss? I mean, it happens every year, all the time. It's it's yeah. awful. Well, in high school, they don't have enough officials, so they only have one official under under the uh, goalpost. No, no, we, we have no. There's, there's two, two now. Oh yeah. All right. Well then, then uh, okay. I wasn't sure that I've been away. From I was just curious if there was like well, what I've always heard from a couple. Not always. I've heard from a couple NFL guys that that before they added the extensions. Uh, he, he, they had heard, cause, you know, some of these guys try to talk to the refs, that if there was any part of the ball that went over that upright, that they would always just call it no good because of the uncertainty of where the ball would kick, left, right, or, or forward, or backward, or wherever, you know? 
Well, they have. It's a little tougher there too because that pipe isn't extended. Right. Like it is in the NFL, and so it's it, it just doesn't go up as high. Um, but I, I um, you know, I think. I think they have the same, they go by the same rule inside the outside edge. And I didn't know, I didn't realize they had two officials under there. So if they do, that's a change and uh, it should be easier for them. Back in the day, they had, you know, you'd go under and if the ball was going to go to the, to the, to one side, it kind of cheat to that side of the post uh, to um, try and make a better call. Yeah, what what's uh what's what's it like punt, um, refereeing the punt return? You know, the ball's coming in, and you got guys coming down that's about to make the tackle, and the returner has to make that catch. You know, has that always been kind of a tough call for you guys? Just because? Yeah, that's I would say uh, that's the worst position on the team for any player is to be a punt return guy. Oh wow! The so you're focused on the ball, you got to make the catch, and you got the kickers running down on it. I mean, there it's uh, it's stressful, believe me. And that the wideouts who are going down to cover the punt, I mean, they just get they get beat up every kick. I mean, it's incredible. And when there's two guys, when there's two guys uh, on the on the return team blocking or uh, a guy coming down, running down the field, a white guy. They just—if uh, there's two guys on them, they don't want a foul call unless it's really obvious that they take the guy and like the grab him and the uh, grab him and throw him down, you know, like wrestling. Otherwise, they don't want that called. So the poor guy who returns, uh, he—he's really. He's out there on an island by himself. It's a tough, tough position. So, from a ref standpoint, is it hard to call that little bubble window that they're supposed to have? Because it seems like some of those gunners that run down the field get awfully close to the returner. Yeah. Regardless, yeah. it must be hard to just make a quick judgment call on that. Well, you know, you got to give the receiver. You have to give him a chance to catch the ball, um, even if you don't. If you don't. If there's no contact, you still have to let that receiver have a. He's got a right to catch the ball. If you if you get too close and interfere with him, uh, it's a penalty. It's yeah. a penalty for uh, interference with the opportunity to catch the ball. Yeah, got a two part question for you here, Tom. Over your career, say let's say NFL, how many game winning kicks do you think you've witnessed? How many what? Game-winning field goals have you witnessed? Uh, wow, that's a good question. I'd have to think. Uh, oh, I, not that many. I'm going to say maybe half a dozen. Wow, okay. And then do you think the concept of icing the kicker, do you think that works on kickers? I don't. Well, you know, you've seen it where... Um, not too often, but I, it might have an effect. I, it's hard to say, but I, you've seen it where they've snapped the ball and the guy kicked it, but the coach on the sideline had called timeout prior, prior, just prior to the snap, and the kick is good, but it didn't count because they had a timeout. So then they give him another chance at it, and they miss. I mean, that's happened. I probably, I'm going to guess, 20 30% of the time now. So I think it, there's some merit there. Okay. What, uh, based on what you, so your whole career spending 26 years as an NFL referee, what were some of the biggest changes that you saw that made it hard as a referee? And then even kind of since you've been out of the game for eight years now, um, what, you know, what, what's changed not recently that, that you think makes it hard for the, the referee these days? Um, well, I, what I saw coming through from 1986, the players got um, faster and quicker, and in some and bigger, and um, you know the rule changes. Uh, probably, probably the probably the uh, 
changes have been made to uh, entice the offense to do better. The league likes to see scoring. So they put in the five, the chuck rule, the five yard where uh, a receiver after five yards downfield as a defender, you can't, as long as the quarterback's in the pocket to throw a pass, you can't, you can't chuck them or hit them. You have to, you know, you can run them in them side by side. There could be some uh, hand uh, contact handing him, but you're not supposed to chuck the guy. So that's really changed. I think that's probably the biggest change for uh, an offensive receiver and to benefit them. Um, Tom, what do you think about uh, defensive linemen hopping over the snapper and and blocking the field goal. Um, yeah. They changed that rule um, where the center on the snap for a punt, for a field goal or point after, the defender cannot line up opposite him. They have to be outside the shoulder of the center. Mm-hmm. Because what they would, what was happening was as soon as the guy had snapped the ball, they'd, they'd just crunch him down into the ground. It was... It was it was, a, it was the safety thing, really, that brought it on. But that was a huge change. And I think that uh, probably 10 years ago, eight years, yeah, 10, 10, 12 years ago is when they changed that rule. Yeah. What do you think, Tom, with all the rule changes with kicking? Um, you know, the game is called football. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it appears that eventually kickoffs will get taken out of the game. What do you what do you think? You know, like guys are just standing there at the at the thirty four yard line now, and the guy kicks off, and you got yeah. the XFL coming out now, where the kicking teams are all down on one end of the field, and the kickers on the other side of the field. There's there's no impact. I mean, do you foresee the NFL ever taking kickoff away? Do you think they'll always keep trying to improvise it to keep it such an iconic play in the game? Yeah. Or what are your thoughts, just from over the years? Yeah, I you know I um, I've seen a lot of receivers uh, on a kickoff or in the ball back. It's a great play. It's very exciting. The fans love it. Um, but from a safety standpoint, a kickoff is like um, I don't even know how to describe it. I was down on the goal line. That's where I'd line up right every kickoff. And when that ball come down on that receiver or the would catch the ball, try to run. I mean, it was. It was like uh, Pearl Harbor. I mean, bodies were flying around, and it was unbelievable. So I think from a safety standpoint, you might see that, where no more, we're not doing kickoffs anymore because it's too many. I know they, I heard a a figure uh, a a few weeks ago that concussions related to kickoff and kick. the, the percentage of concussions was down because of oh. the rules that they've changed. Just That's good. The last year or two. Yeah. So, you know, maybe it'll stay the same as it is right now. I don't know. But I'm telling you, it's brutal. They just, I don't know how that, sometimes they get hit and it's so hard you can feel the ground shake. I'm not kidding. I don't know how they get up off the ground, these guys. And I don't know how they get up Monday morning. Well, they always they always say it's like they feel like they got in a car accident the next day. Yeah, that's true. Over your years of playing, what are some of the iconic moments that you remember that maybe, you know, sometimes you see on TV, you're like, yeah, I was roughing that game. Um, you know, uh, it, it sounds kind of corny when I say this, but every game, every game, and I worked a lot of them. It's huge. Uh, I mean, I can I can tell you my second year in the league, we had a game in Green Bay, and their quarterback, his name was Makowski. It was before Brett Favre. Oh, Don Makowski. Yeah, and they played New Orleans, and New Orleans was ahead twenty-one to nothing at the half, and. Uh, 
in the third and fourth quarter, he didn't throw an incomplete pass. Mikowski, it was unbelievable. Bing, 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 bing. Now, all of a sudden, the score is 24. New Orleans had a field goal to 21. Green Bay scored three touchdowns. So now we're in the fourth quarter with about 40 seconds to go. Mikowski throws a pass down my sideline, and I'm on the line of scrimmage, and he throws it to 24 yards downfield. The guy catches the ball, and the official downfield calls it incomplete. And I'm looking at this, and I swear to God, he got both feet down, touched, and I got a catch. So when that happens, they don't want one official waving incomplete, the other official waving complete. So you don't do anything when you think you should change the call. And I ran down to Doyle Jackson, was his name, and said, Doyle, are you 100,000% sure that that is an incomplete pass? And he says, no, I don't, I really, I just, I don't know. And I said, well, then we're changing it to a completion. And it was a tough, tough call. So we changed it. Ben Dreith was the referee. And uh, when we changed the call, he announced it, and it sounded like you know, the fans went crazy. And they keep the drive going now. And the three more pass, pass down the field. They score a touchdown when the game is over. So now we're in the locker room, and Jim Fakes, He's a general manager of the New Orleans Saints at the time. The door was open, and he knew Ben Dreyth. He'd come walking into Ben. And he said, Ben, how can you change that call to a catch? And Ben says, well, I don't know. Ask the guy over there. He made the call, and he points at me, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, hey, yeah, thanks a lot, buddy. And I said, you know what, Jim? Mr. Finks, I said, I would bet my house. The guy got both feet down. It's a catch. And he said, fine, that's all I want to know. He turned around and walked out. He's a really a classy guy. So, and, and, you know, you have these kind of, over a career of 26 years, I could go on and on and on in a lot of plays like that. But these, they're big. And it's a, there's a lot of money involved. And believe me, uh, when they, when they um, lose a game, they only play 16 games. So it's big every mm-hmm. weekend. So you, I'm assuming based on your comment, you feel, do you feel the pressure as a ref to make sure that you get everything correct or is there an element of human error that everybody kind of expects, like hard to get it perfect, but you do your best? Well, we can't be, you know, we, we can't be perfect. Nobody can be perfect, but we can be excellent, you know? Yeah. We can strive to be excellent, but you can't be perfect. And I think, you know, they get ripped up during the game, the players, but especially the coaches, it's their whole life. Yeah. And uh, if it goes against them, you know, then it doesn't sit well with them, believe me. I've heard, I learned a lot of new words over the years. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you that. Uh, you know, on the field, how much smack talk's going on? And Well, it's quite a bit. I When I first got in, it was the first year they had instant replay. Yeah. And... Uh, was that a po- I'm assuming that was positive, right, to have instant replay, or did that even make it harder on you guys? Uh, well, in the beginning, I think it was harder. I mean, it was, it was the umpire carried a phone, mm-hmm. and it was like they used in the foxholes, you know, like in World War II, great big thing. And, and we're down in Houston, they're playing uh, Oakland the Raiders, and um, all of a sudden, they, in those days, the replay guy up in the booth, he'd stop the game. He'd mm-hmm. buzz downfield, we'd stop the game, he'd look at the play, and then he would say, yeah, it's a, it's a completion or it's incomplete, whatever. Yeah. So they stopped the play, and um, I run in there, uh, and I'd never really been into the middle of the field. And these guys, they're going at it, they're calling each other about their mother and everything else, you know, and, they, and well, wow. But anyway, it took like... I don't, it felt like 15 minutes, but it was probably four or five minutes. And the problem was it was brand new. And the reception with the replay, the guy up in the booth, instead of talking to the guy down in the field, he was on the, um, he was getting like a, a police uh, 
call where there was a robbery at some place over on the other side <laughs> of town. That's what he, that's the reception he was getting. There was no, con- I mean, they couldn't talk to each other, and it went on, and finally they they figured it out. We went from there, but there's a lot of smack talk going on. Believe me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> What typically happens if, let's say, you you guys decide to call, and you kind of realize later, yeah, it, we got it wrong. I mean, you probably, I mean, is there makeup calls that happen, or is it just you, you just apologize to the head coach and say, hey, sorry, we realized we probably blew that call. Like, how does that work as a ref typically? Well, there, really, there's no makeup call. Uh, you know, I you know, I think. When I think back, every game when I'd leave the field, there was always one, maybe two, maybe three calls or plays that I think I missed. Mm-hmm. I never thought I ever had a perfect game. I don't think anybody does. But, um, you know, I I had a game once, and this is in my college career. I was Michigan, the Michigan State, and it was in Michigan at that big stadium over there and the tight end from the first quarter the tight end for Michigan realized he's on the wrong side of the field so he comes over to the opposite side and just as he's bringing his hand down to touch the ground they snapped the ball it should have been a false start and mm-hmm. I didn't call it and George Perlis was a coach at the time Michigan State and he's he's all over me well anyway during the next Time out, which was probably three plays later. I turn around and I went, Coach, I got to tell you right now, I blew the call. I missed it. I apologize. You know, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. He said, you know what, Coach? He said, that's all I wanted to hear. He said, I've missed three or four calls already today. And he said, I just wanted to hear you admit that. And that was it. Yeah. Well, I think I think that's what most coaches, it seems like, want that, is at least just kind of admit you messed up once, you know, an accident, you know. So, are there a few coaches over the years that you've just enjoyed interacting with? Like, you kind of like, yeah, I, I, I like roughing this game because I know that coach is going to treat me with respect kind of thing. Yeah, I think most of them are that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can all, um, believe me, if they if they think you missed a call, um, they let you know it. But they all did it in a different way. I mean, you had... You had guys screamers. You'd have guys that would talk to you like a like a psychology guy. And I remember one time Bill Walsh um, at San Francisco, right toward the end of the first half, he wanted to crack back block, and I didn't I didn't see it, so I didn't call it. And the half's over, so he's walking off the field with me. He says, Tom, this is something we got to work on. He said in the off season, he says, you know, you missed that crackback call, but those are easy to miss. You know, we got to figure out a way where we don't miss those. And we got to, you know, and I'm going, geez, yeah, you know, okay, fine. So the whole second half, I'm looking for crackback blocks on every play, right? Mm-hmm. And I get the, see the, the every week we get uh, on Saturday, we go over the game from the week before, play-by-play, play and so forth. And I looked at that, and I looked at that, and it wasn't even close. Yeah. I didn't see any crackbacks. So he was a, kind of like a psychologist, mm-hmm. just to make it, but he never leave, he would never raise his voice. Yeah. He always talked. And then you had other guys that scream, scream and yell, Bobby Ross, uh, I could go down the list um, of, the, of the screamers. So they're all different. They're all they're all out there, and they do it in their own way. <laughs> oh, I bet, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, one guy, Andy Reid, I was pulling for him yesterday to win that game, and I'm so glad that they did because he, he deserves a Super Bowl ring. And I can remember in Philadelphia, I made a call against his defensive end. He came right across on the snap, jammed his hand right into the face mask of the offensive blocker. So I throw my flight. And the assistant coach is screaming all over me. That's no foul, you know, what are you looking at, da-da-da-da. And he returns the guy and he said, keep your mouth shut. That was a good call. And that was it. You mm-hmm. could hear a pin drop. <laughs> the guy never said another word. So he's a class act. I mean, he's been through a lot. His son, uh, in an overdose of drugs, mm-hmm. uh, lost him his life. It was, 
it was awful. I mean, he's he's been through the ringer, believe me. But he's yeah. a great guy. Yeah. Wonderful coach. Yeah. So leading up to a game, how much game prep do you do as a referee? And then also, I guess at the end of the game, is there any post-game follow-up that you do as a ref? Yeah. Um, I can tell you this. When the game ends, we get a DVD of the broadcast from the network before we leave the locker room. And they want all of us to uh, take that DVD, get on the airplane, and review, look at the game, look at the calls, and so on and so forth. Um, I can tell you this now, because I'm not working anymore. I never did that. I, <laughs> when the game ended, I put it to boy. I mean, it's over. And I would wait till Monday or Tuesday and go from there. Mm-hmm. But during the week... Um, the way it ended up the last uh, five years or so, um, we could get on our laptops. They gave all of us laptop computers, and they wanted us to look at the two teams that we were going to officiate for the next weekend and look at special teams, um, look at their tendencies, you know, running, passing, blocking, so on and so forth. So we, you know, I spent time doing that on uh, Thursday or Friday night. So we, you know, it's a full, it's a week. You go all week, believe me. Yeah, it's not just weekends. What I remember there was a there was a period of time when I think referees had a full time job, and then they also refed on the weekends. Now and then they changed it. So did you? Was that part of your lifestyle where you had like a regular full time job, and then you also refed? Yeah, I, I, uh, the way they pay us is by year, the years of service. So everybody would get the same pay. So if you're in the league for seven years, all the seven-year guys get the same pay. So uh, the referee, they gave him an extra $10,000 because he had to he had to do more work on the telephone, he had to do more paperwork, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Most of the guys who were, I would say, 55, 50, mid-50s and younger, they worked. They still had a day job. Um, and then the older you got, the longer you were in the league, um, the, the older refs um, didn't do much with a regular job during the week. And... Um, and I don't know if it was... When I was in there, the average age was 51 or an NFL official, and I'm not sure what it is today. But uh, today, they're paying those guys a lot of money, so I would say a majority of them don't, don't work a daytime job. I suppose it allows you to fully focus on the role of the ref. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And every week, uh, even, uh, I'm sure they still do this, but we had a test of about 50 questions that we would, every week, we would answer, we'd write out these, and then on Saturday in our meeting, we go th- over the test. So it's, it, like I said, it was really uh, not just a Saturday, Sunday job, it's advocation. <laughs> yeah. Do you still keep in touch with some of the past and, and current referees right now and just kind of just talk shop? Uh, I talk with uh, a handful of retired guys in my era. Uh, the guys working now, you know, the local, I talk to a couple of them every now and then. But, you know, you don't have, when you were working every week, you always had something to talk about. You know, this play or that play or what, what do you think of this deal here and that? But, you know, those days are gone. And I don't have that um, uh, desire to talk to the current officials because uh, you know it's a different time. Yeah. So I don't really, I don't spend a lot of time on the phone with the current guys. Okay. And this has been awesome Great. so far. So, just to tie in one more special teams related question: When sure. you were refing, which special teams play was the most fun to ref or witness? Whether it was uh, field goal or kickoffs or whatever. I'd say a punt. Punt. Scrimmage kick. Okay, yeah. just because there was so much that could happen. Yeah, I you know I got in the league and uh, came in 
downfield, uh, a sideline guy downfield, and there's a, there's a, a foul or penalty call, an IBW. It's an illegal block from behind above the, sh- the waist. Mm-hmm. So my, I go do one game, two games, I don't have a foul. And um, I'm in Chicago. <clears throat> they had, that was a year after they won the Super Bowl. And they had a game there at home with Philadelphia. That was Buddy Ryan, who coached uh, Chicago's defense. He, he was a, you know, the, the inventor of the 3 4 defense, all on and on. Well, anyway, he gets a job in Philadelphia. He comes into Chicago. You could feel the tension. You could cut it, you know, with a knife. So, anyway, they, I, they punt the ball, and I'm downfield, and this guy, if that block, you got to learn this from from being there because when we would talk, have our sessions, it was always, yeah, make sure the make sure the blocks right in the back, right in the numbers, not on the, one hand on the side and the other in the back. Well, anyway, I throw foul for a IBW, and the guy runs sixty five yards for touchdown. Of course, it comes back, and it was a bad call, mm-hmm. and. <laughs> You feel it, it hurts, yeah, and something like that. But I would say the scrimmage kick was probably the most exciting. Yeah, no nice. question. So it sounds like, from what I've researched, you're credited with uh, refereeing one Super Bowl, correct? Which one was it, and what were some moments that you remember from it? Uh, it was a long time. It was 1994. Uh, my fourth year as a line judge. And it was Buffalo Bills playing uh, Dallas Cowboys. And Buffalo had lost three Super Bowls. This was their fourth Super Bowl in a row. Mm-hmm. And the game was 13-7 uh, to 7 at the halftime. Buffalo was ahead. And um, I said, wow, they're going to win. They're going to beat Dallas. I could just feel it. Well, anyway, in the third quarter... Uh, we changed sides at the halftime. I'm on the Buffalo sideline. And about the third play or fourth play of the third quarter, they had a running back, Thurman Thomas, from Buffalo. And he has close call. He fumbled the ball. And I made right in front of me. And then you got to determine, you know, is his knee down? Or did the ball come out before his knee was down? Ba-boom, ba-boom. And bam, you got to make the call. And I thought it was good. A guy from Dallas, uh, I think his name was Washington, I'm not sure. He scoops up the ball, runs about 55 yards, scores a touchdown. And now they go ahead 14-13. And uh, you could feel the wind come out of the Buffalo uh, players on the sideline. It was like they they were finished. Mm -hmm. And uh, the game just turned around. Yeah. And Dallas won the game. I think it was twenty nine to thirteen, I think. But uh, it was uh, just changed just on that one play. It's amazing how that can affect the game and by you, just one play. And you can probably feel it when you're actually on the field. You can feel momentum shifts. I bet, right? Yeah, you can. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's. I'll tell you the game. That game yesterday it was up and down and up and down. I didn't think Kansas City could do it, but that third quarter, you know, it finished, it was 20 to 10, right, at the end of the third quarter, and I'm saying there's no way Kansas City, they, you know, they got a great quarterback, but man, that's a long way to do, you know, in one quarter, and uh, I think, personally, I think the 49ers kind of got overconfident at that point they were already getting their ring sized you know <laughs> they had thought they had it in the bag and uh, boy did that turn around yeah do you do you find yourself kind of roughing from the from the couch you're like oh that was a hole yeah. that was a I suppose yeah. it's hard to give it up right yeah when I go see I, I work for the Big Ten mm-hmm. and uh, what I do is uh, I, I every weekend I take a game and critique the officiating and then on Saturdays, I go out <clears throat> and I go to a Division Two or a Division Three college game and look at officials and mm-hmm. critique them and send in a report. And 
When oh. I go to a football game, I look at the officials. I don't even watch the, <laughs> the game, you know. And on TV, you know, it's a little harder because you don't really see the officials. But when I go to a game, that's what I do. Yeah, it's kind of like us, you know, kicking coaches. You go watch a game and you pay attention to the punts and the field goals and you kind of critique the snaps and all that type of stuff. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the best special teams coach in all my years in the NFL was Chuck Pfeiffer. And he was at Detroit for a long, 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 then he went to Denver. And his son, Mike, was a special teams coach with the Vikings. Oh, Prefer? Yeah, Fifa. Prefer, yeah, Mike Prefer. And prior to that, he was out in New York, and he was—he's a great guy too. But his father was incredible. He'd call me. Mm-hmm. He'd call me during the week, either apologize for, you know, what he said, or had a question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was—he was, No one ever did. He was great. Oh, that's great. Well, sweet our, our our two fun questions that we always end. We have a capstone question we ask. And then I'm going to kind of tie it into your refereeing as well. First of all, who were your five favorite players to watch? I mean, you had to probably as a quasi-fan be like, oh, sweet, I'm going to watch Joe Montana. Or, you know, like, like, did you have certain players you're like, wow, this will be fun to to watch and ref? Uh, Yeah, I'd say Barry Sanders. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was the best running back I've ever seen. But you couldn't see him. He was short. Mm-hmm. And he'd get knocked down and put his hand down and get back up and run. But I'd say Barry Sanders, Joe Montana, um, uh, Brett Favre. He was he loved to play. He just loved the game. That guy. Mm-hmm. He loved football. He loved uh, com- being competing and, and uh, so on and so forth. Um, probably, uh, uh, you know, I. I I had Walter Payton. I worked his last game, uh, but when I had, he was kind of at the end of his career when I got him, so he he didn't really stand out. But uh, uh, there, you know, there there's so many good ones. Uh, yeah. Steve Young was another one. He was phenomenal. Yeah. But I think this guy today, the Kansas City guy, is as good as they get. He's he. Pat Mahomes. He, yeah, Mahomes, you just, you never know with that guy. Yeah, I suppose it keeps you on your feet as a ref, because you don't know if he's going to run or pass and all that. Well, that's, see, when I was working, the guy from Atlanta, um, uh, Michael Vick, mm-hmm. he was he was like a Mahomes. Yeah. He could run like crazy. Yeah. And uh, he could throw the ball, he was left-handed, but uh, he was a guy that was incredible. Yeah, and um, the tough guy to work for because you didn't know if he's going to run or throw the ball or whatever. Yeah, I bet. All right, here's our capstone question. I got I got to make it a two part question. So every interview we ask the interview, and typically it's an athlete uh, to tell us their five favorite stadium experiences. So the two parts are going to be your for uh, your five favorite stadium experiences in the NFL, and then if you recall your Big Ten experiences, maybe your five favorite stadiums. Yeah. To, to ref into. Yeah, I'd say number one is Green Bay. Nice. And the reason being is you can get out of that stadium and get to the airport and be home by 7 o'clock Sunday <laughs> night. <laughs> I bet. Uh, Denver. Nice. Uh, and because of the, uh, I would say Denver because of the excitement and the noise, and they're unbelievable there. Buffalo was another one. It was just insane. Um, the coldest game I ever worked in my entire career was at Buffalo, and it was, I, th- I froze to death. I tell you, my hands are still, I can't, when it gets cold out and I try to go outside and shovel or do any of that, my fingers get cold right away. But, but Buffalo was, uh, was an amazing place to work. Um, uh, let's see, how many is that? Four? That's three. Two more. Three? Uh, okay. I would say probably at New York. Okay. Uh, just because it's the big time New York City, uh, you know, that was a great place to work. And in other places, I'd say San Francisco and San Diego were toss up because they were always, especially San Diego, the weather was always perfect. <laughs> Can imagine. Good for refs to be yeah. in warm weather. Yeah. That's more than anything. That's about the, 
that's very important, believe me, the weather. And in college, I'd say um, Wisconsin. Yep. Number one, because of the uh, atmosphere over there. Michigan, uh, maybe 106,000 people there. Um, Ohio State. Yep. That was Ohio State had a, it's like a horseshoe, and then they have a second deck above the horseshoe. So the noise from the bottom level it's top level, and then ricochets back down into onto the field. And I had an Iowa, Ohio State game there, and they were both in the top five in the country. And it was just you couldn't even. It was so loud you couldn't hear your partner downfield. You couldn't even. You know what they were saying? <laughs> yeah, I, can, I bet. Um, and, but there, uh, let's see another one. Um, let's see Wisconsin, Michigan, Michigan State, uh, Iowa. Yep. That's another place where it's crazy. It's tough to win at Iowa mm-hmm. for the visitor. And probably... How about Penn State? Is it is that a fun uh, one? Penn State is a huge, mm-hmm. huge stadium. I mean, there's over 100,000 there, too. Penn State is the whole city. Yep. At uh, Penn State University. Amen. And then you get the whiteout when everybody wears white. I'm sure that's an incredible yeah. sight. It's amazing. Yeah. I think college is, uh, you know, as far as the, the color of the fans, the, the band, everything considered is more exciting than the NFL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can and see other that. Than the, other than the Super Bowl. Sure. You know, the playoffs, they're outstanding. Yeah, uh, awesome. Well, Tom, uh, we want to thank you for your time. This was a real fun interview to do. You know, and on behalf of Brian and I, we just want to thank you for your time and your insight and the, and, the, and the answers you were able to provide, it was real fun, and I'm sure our listeners are going to enjoy this. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, I appreciate it, Al. You can call me anytime, man. Yeah, perfect. Well, thank you. We'll, uh, we'll probably be in touch then. Okay, good luck to you. Yeah, thank you. All right, bye-bye. Yeah. Bye-bye. Well, guys, we hope you enjoyed that one. Uh, we thought it would be a real fun interview to get a referee's perspective on the game of football and clarify some of the special teams questions and obviously we talked about things beyond special teams but I thoroughly enjoyed that just as a fan of the game just to get some insight and what it's like to be a ref in the field so uh, thank you all for joining us Uh, we have some fantastic interviews lined up this week actually so uh, stay tuned and have a great day thanks thank you for listening to the fourth down experience be sure to subscribe on iTunes Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 4th Down Experience.